Welcome to this solo special edition of The Behaviorist. We've been receiving requests quite a bit already this week from people asking us to help them with preventing burnout, uh, managing burnout, getting back to a sense of vibrancy and vitality. And we have a set of 20 practices. Some are easy, some are hard. And they're just 20 concrete practices that you can look down through the list and you can pick one or two and you can start experimenting with. So uh, this is going out to all of our clients who wanted a audio reminder of what the practices are. Allie's going to draw up a PDF that has the 20 practices written and hopefully we can put it beside the uh, podcast on the behaviorist.com's website and you can download the PDF, print it out, maybe circle it as you listen along and scribble some notes in the margins and, and hopefully this can be really helpful for you. So we have these 20 practices and these are ones that we've tried as a team and we want to encourage you to try. They're not in any particular order and they're definitely not in rank order. So you decide for yourself which ones of these are going to be ones you're going to experiment with. So the first one's very simple. It's, uh, it's very visual too. So we call it inner circle, outer circle. Draw two circles, concentric circles on a piece of paper. It'll look a little bit like a donut. And you've got your inner circle and then you've got your outer circle. The inner circle is where you place everything that's within your control. How you respond, your mindset, your habits. And then the outer circle is everything that's outside of your control. Other people's perspectives, other people's habits. And when you're going through a difficult time, it's a simple but helpful practice to draw these circles and note what is within your control and what's in that outer circle. And then you really want to focus your energy on everything on the inside of that circle. If we're putting too much energy in the outer circle, we're actually being wasteful. We need our energy so much. We need to be efficient with it. And so to waste our energy on what others think or trying to change someone else's behavior um, isn't really efficient, especially during times of transition. So double down on the inner circle. The second practice is called reframing stress. And this is something that high-performing leaders are particularly uh, skillful at. When you're moving through a period and you're being really challenged and something is extremely hard, I want you to think about uh, stress as a continuum. And on the far left, and you can draw this one too, on the far left is distress. And on the far right is eustress. It's E-U-S-T-R-E-S-S. Now, we tend to say stress 
Um, and it's really just a shortened version of either distress or eustress. So eustress is something that pushes you, that uh, challenges you, and it's hard, but it's actually strengthening you. It's maybe elevating your performance, somehow helping you grow. Whereas distress is uh, that it's pushed you beyond the point of growth to the point where you're having diminished returns. Um, You're having physical uh, ill health as a result of that pushing. And so what you want to think about is, is the stressor that's coming at you and can you reframe it as uh, somehow you stress? Is it somehow strengthening you? Is it somehow helping you grow? Or has it, has it crossed the line and has it moved into distress? So even just the thought process of delineating, is this you stress or is this distress can help us feel perhaps more in control and see the challenge as something that's strengthening for us. The third practice you can consider is one that we learned from uh, Candy Wiens and Annie McKee from Penn had written an article several years ago about chief medical officers that moved through stress and they were able to use, some of them were able to use emotional intelligence in order to prevent burnout. And so those chief medical officers that were able to prevent burnout had this habit of not being the source of their own stress. They had learned how to disrupt themselves when they started uh, maybe being overly perfectionistic or they had started ruminating um, or projecting. And so this uh, practice of disrupting yourself and not allowing yourself to be the source of your own stress is a powerful practice. And it can look a lot of different ways. The fourth practice is extremely simple. Um, I'm an Enneagram one. And so much of my early life was trying to be as perfect as I could be. And whether it was my work life or hosting a party or raising my children. (laughs) And so uh, it really was a, a bout of burnout that taught me how to take the B. And so um, the reality is in life, there are things where we definitely want an A plus and we will strive and we will bring all of our faculties and networks and resources and uh, we will go for it and we will get that A plus. But learning how to distinguish between what needs an A plus and what is okay with a B or maybe even a C is the art of growing older and uh, being stable, for me, anyhow. So think about what in your life you're striving for an A-plus on that maybe you could just reel it in 
and decide a B is just fine on this. Maybe it's um, how you fold your towels <laughs> and put them in the closet. Maybe it's some report that you do at work. Um, so think think through what where could I take a B? And it's not really going to impact my, you know, ability to achieve and accomplish my purpose on the planet if I decide to take a B on this. The fifth one is probably maybe the most important. Some sort of contemplative practice, some sort of mindfulness practice, meditation, any sort of practice where you sit in solitude and you savor, uh, you allow with non-judgment what comes up for you. Um, I like when Richard Rohr talks about contemplative practices being that we sit and we uh, savor something long enough, so long that we realize we love it. So any kind of practice, but incredibly important that it happens daily. So we're creating new positive neural pathways in our brains so that when stress comes along, crisis, uncertainty, we have stability and we have uh, ingrained a sense of calm, uh, a sense of uh, non-reacting to even challenging situations. So that meditation or contemplative practices is number five. The sixth one is a crucible mindset. And I learned this from Bill George. He had a book called Discover Your True North. He was the father of authentic leadership. And he talked about the fact that authentic leaders have a crucible mindset and they have been able to reflect on extremely hard things that they've gone through, that it was so challenging that it was like going into a crucible. So a crucible is that fiery furnace that blacksmiths will put iron into so that it melts a little bit and then they can pull that bit of iron out and they can retool it into a different shape. So life is like that. And stressors come along and we uh, we can be reformed by that fire. It can even strengthen us just like that iron is strengthened by that heat. Uh, those crucible moments in our lives can strengthen us and reform us. So while we are going through a challenging time, if we bring a crucible mindset to that difficulty, it can actually be beneficial. We can we can see it in a different way and then we can behave in a proactive, constructive way because we don't feel like a victim. We feel like this is something that's been put in our path to instruct us 
um, to help us notice something about ourselves, about how we're strong, or what, uh, what resonates with us. The seventh practice is one that is very common, but so powerful. I love Sean Aker, and um, he's studied this simple gratitude practice. You know, I, I would encourage you to think about even just saying three things every day that you're grateful for, but make it a practice. Perhaps it's right before bed. What were the three things that you're most grateful for that happened today? I think a real level up, you know, we get to a, a place of emotional maturity and maybe even wisdom when we're able to look back at things that caused us even distress and be grateful for even the hard things that have happened to us. So perhaps that's a practice you want to weave into your repertoire, a gratitude practice, three things in a day. Um, You can also be grateful to others. It's sort of a level up (laughs) when you send that random text message or that random email or that I love stationery that note card to someone just to thank them um, to show that you are grateful for for something that they've done or even just how they are and their being the eighth practice is uh, the five frames so this came out of an article in 2020 by Nathan Furr in Harvard Business Review and It dropped uh, right around COVID. I think it was actually March or April in um, 2020. And it just resonated with me and a lot of our clients about the fact that it's more important how we frame uncertainty and crisis than that we can control it. And so thinking about framing it, uh, putting on this set of glasses where it's a lens through which you see the difficulty that's coming at you or the uncertainty that's coming at you. And so these five frames are ones that you can choose. And once you've chosen a frame, you're no longer a victim because you're processing the hardship in a very constructive way. And so uh, Nathan Fur talks about leaders who have adopted the le- adopted the learning frame. The difficulty comes, and we say, "Well, what can I learn from this? How is this challenge my teacher?" There's the gratitude frame. What can we be grateful for uh, in spite of this or because of this difficult period? that we're going through. The game frame, where we think about, well, what do we have? <laughs> How can we still win? Um, and what are our strengths? What's in our arsenal? How, what are we gonna do now? How do we level up? Uh, the randomness frame, which is a frame where we say, no amount of planning could have prepared us for this, but we're gonna stand back up and we're gonna keep going. It's not our fault that this happened um, and we're, st- we're still going to keep moving. 
And then the last one that he said is probably the most powerful is the hero frame. So when the dif- difficulty comes, if we ask ourselves, what would the hero do? How would she show up? Maybe the shero frame. Um, how would she show up? What would she say here? How would she behave? And then try that. So those are the five frames. The ninth practice is empathy. So not just feeling what the other person is feeling, but aligning your behavior with what they might be experiencing. So that kind of bracketing, getting into their shoes, can help us feel true connection uh, and compassion where we've taken that empathy and moved it into action. The 10th behavior is self-compassion. Self-love, truly. Liking yourself, loving yourself, and valuing yourself. Truly asking, what would I do if I valued myself here? If you really as acted as if uh, you were your best friend and someone that you absolutely adored and then thought about, well, what would I do if this was happening to my best friend? How would I, what would I say? What would I do? How would I show up? And then think that through and then do that to yourself. (laughs) Self-compassion. Others won't value us until we value ourselves. And uh, self-compassion can go a long way to rebuilding our own vitality. It could be gentle words, the narratives in our mind. We can rewrite those. It could be self, uh, self-care as well. The 11th behavior to start building, rebuilding your vitality, that vibrancy, is to take stock of your values, to truly think about what are your deeply held beliefs, and then to line up your life with those values. Sometimes when we are burning out, it's not because we have too much on our plate. It's that what's on our plate isn't aligned with what really guides us, our real beliefs. So the practice of understanding your values and then looking at your days and your calendar and maybe your checkbook and ensuring that you're congruent with those values. So aligning the values is another practice Um, number 12 is consuming beauty (laughs) for me this is really important Uh, it's not shallow it it's important we uh, beauty could be music it could be flowers it could be a pair of shoes you love it could be artwork it could be snow, it could be flowers, it could be architecture. Uh, For many of us, it's eye candy 
that we need to <laughs> sort of really lull about uh, that you know piece of hard candy in our, in our eyeballs, so that we can really um, revive. So I would encourage practices where you are consuming beauty. Um, maybe it's an art museum. Maybe it's knitting. I used to love taking artist dates, going to fabric stores and touching all the fabric or going to a granite shop. I love to touch granite. Um, so whatever that is for you, but consuming beauty. Number 13 is getting enough sleep. I don't know if it's possible to get too much sleep, especially if we are trying to heal from burnout. So I love the you know fact that sleep also helps us with optimizing our performance um, but this today's podcast is really just about climbing back to vitality and vibrancy. Vibrancy. Um, Ariana Huffington is so funny when she talks about sleeping your way to the top through sleep. Uh, but I do think you can sleep your way to the top through sleep. Nine, ten hours, um, tuck in early and and see see what happens to your life. Number 14 is the bump start. This is just what I call it. Technically, it's called behavioral activism. I used to drive old Lambrettas um, from the 1960s. This was in the 90s. Um, And often they wouldn't start. (laughs) And so you would have to find an incline and you'd sort of run alongside your scooter and you'd hold in the clutch and then you'd hop onto it once it started moving and you'd have to open up the clutch to get it into a gear and then pop, it would it would start. Uh, but we called it a bump start. And honestly, I don't know if that's technically what it's called, um, but, but it's a way to kick yourself into gear. And so what this looks like in the world of, revitalizing uh, is that we behave our way back into vitality. So we adopt the behaviors of someone who is vibrant. Not, Not all of them, obviously, but a couple of critical ones so that we can behave our way back into vitality. Um, after my father died, our, my daughter made me this little list of five things to do every day and uh, put it on a sticky note beside my bed. And there were things like take a walk <laughs> and take a shower and eat breakfast, um, things like that, that were just reminders of behaving your way back to vitality. Number 15 is relating. So interpersonal relationships allow us to stay healthy as human beings. And uh, interpersonal relationships, sometimes when we are in high-powered positions, those are the priorities that move to the bottom of the list. And tasks and accomplishing tasks for your company or your organization move to the top of the list. So just when we need them the most, they are deprioritize those relationships. So in order to get back to vibrancy, 
you may need to or want to or get to reprioritizing relationships. So you can restart by uh, coffees, diners, <laughs> lunches, um, notes, and revitalizing relationships that maybe have gotten a little dusty if you've been burning out, if you've been too focused on work. So look back to the relationships that are still life-giving to you. People change and relationships do uh, go away. We evolve. And so thinking about which relationships you're attracted to, which people do you feel connected to? Um, and those are the ones to start relating with. Number 16 is unitasking, which I wrote about in my book, Slowly, from 2007. Just this simple idea of paying attention to one thing at a time. And so the opposite of multitasking. So when you're talking to someone, you're having a conversation with them and you're all in. When you're washing your dishes, you're washing your dishes. When you're taking a walk, you're taking a walk. When you're listening to a book, you're listening to a book. Um, so unitasking is more challenging than we realize until we start practicing it. Uh, however, you get more done and you can remember things better when you've been unitasking. Number 17 is essentialism, which is a practice of thinking about uh, what is most important here and then letting go of that which is not essential and uh, sending that off to sea. So I love the quote by Coco Chanel that elegance is refusal. So we want to think about what is core and what is essential and then what is superfluous that is white noise that is mucking up our brains and can we do without that number 18 is going on a technology diet increasingly we're learning about particularly social media um, and how insidious it can be for our self-regard and the Teddy Roosevelt quote that comparison is the thief of joy and so some of the social media platforms are set up to um, cause us to be addicted to them, to engage in them more frequently than we would like. And they're really playing to our unconscious. So putting ourselves on a technology diet. Sarah has a neat uh, way that she can only look at Instagram if she's riding the exercise bike. And that works great for her. That means she really only takes a dose of Instagram once a day and it's been really good for her. Number 19, to embrace your own vitality is to really think about operating efficiencies. So this is a concept that I learned about that has changed my life I've been using it for probably about 15 years. Um, operating efficiencies 
is this it's basically a philosophy but you can you can bring it into reality it's this idea that in a system everyone understands their highest and best value to that system and then they operate in that zone where they're contributing their highest and best value and they're not really operating below that they would hire out or they would delegate empower someone or just simply not do it there's a lot of things you can do but if you're living in your highest and best value uh, a lot of things can go well and so understanding what is your highest and best value what are your operating efficiencies in your personal life in your professional life i worked with uh, there was a period where i was working with a lot of women doctors for some reason and you know just understanding this idea of their highest and best value wasn't necessarily cleaning their bathroom they wanted to spend time with their kids or they wanted to study something they wanted to grow in some way they could hire someone to help them with their house keeping and then they would have more hours to devote to something that was higher better value for them so uh, once we understand that concept we get some gains and we get some scaling that is pretty incredible uh, if we use that technique and then last but not least is the renewal cycle so richard boyatzis talks quite a bit about the renewal cycle in his book resonant leadership and he talks about uh particularly leaders have something they experience called power stress and power stress is uh, more weighty than typical stress because the decisions are heavy and there's often more of a solitary decision making and um so so when a, a leader is experiencing chronic power stress they must learn how to go through a renewal cycle in order to stay vital in order to continue being revitalized and not burn out so the renewal cycle is you're checking in with yourself to feel when am i starting to no longer resonate but to become dissonant where i'm emotionally contagious in a not healthy way and it might be wreaking havoc in my family or my organizational culture and so taking the pulse on that and then moving into some sort of activity or period where you are renewing so really engaging in hope and engaging in mindfulness and compassion and really self-compassion so how are we moving through a renewal cycle for some people this can happen daily that they move into their renewal cycle that needs to happen daily for some people i have some clients that quarterly take themselves through the renewal cycle other people feel like it's a weekly it really depends on the individual but these elements of something that's mindful 
something that's hopeful and compassion, those three characteristics uh, make the renewal cycle uh, revitalize us. So those were my 20 practices and seriously pick two (laughs) and start experimenting with them and let me know how it goes. All right. If you ever have any questions, of course, reach out to us um, through workwisdomllc.com and check out thebehaviorist.com for our website that's just devoted to the behaviorist. So uh, I wish you well and happy new year. Stay vital, uh, stay vibrant. 